arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. 2.8 billion miles from the sun, hidden in the darkness of space, lurks the mysterious moon Triton. This strange natural satellite is the largest of 14 known moons that orbit the mighty blue gas planet Neptune. But Triton is unlike any other large moon in our solar system, as it orbits its planet in the opposite direction, and this means the curious moon must have been captured from elsewhere in the solar system. It is believed that Triton may have originally existed in the Kuiper Belt as a dwarf planet as it shares similar compositions to Pluto, but where this moon actually came from is still a mystery. So if one day in the future we have developed the technology that will allow human beings to travel and land on this strange moon, what will it be like to stand on Triton? Our brave space explorers would experience frigid conditions as Triton is considered the coldest known object in the solar system and has an average surface temperature of minus 235 degrees Celsius. It has an extremely thin atmosphere that is made up of mainly nitrogen with trace amounts of other gases that are thought to have resulted from the evaporation of ices on its surface. This means the explorers would require advanced equipment to allow them to survive the blistering cold and lack of breathable oxygen, but they would enjoy the very low gravity, which would be half as much as our own moon's gravity. Looking across the surface, they would see a fairly flat landscape that is mostly made up of frozen nitrogen. Parts of this strange alien environment might also be visible with a slight reddish tint, which is a result of methane ice turning to carbon due to the exposure of ultraviolet radiation. In the distance, ridges and icy plains might be seen with a few impact craters scattered across its frozen surface. Because Triton is geologically active, the explorers may have to avoid the cryovolcanic eruptions that might burst out of the icy crust and spit nitrogen gas or liquid five miles above the surface. Looking up into the sky, the explorers would see only darkness, with the subtle light of distant stars glowing away like pinholes in the blanket of space. But if the explorers had landed on the side of Triton that was always facing Neptune, they would have the privilege of seeing the mighty planet in all its glory, as the gas planet would look 10 times larger than our own moon does here on Earth. So far, the observation of Triton has been limited to Earth-bound instruments and one visit from the Voyager 2 flyby back in 1989. But one day, we will go back to the Neptunian system and explore this strange captive world that still holds many mysteries. In the time of Harry Cobb, several advances have been taken for granted. The low gravity has been adjusted on Triton and everywhere else. 
and even grander than Mars, entire sectors on Triton have been environmentally sealed. This moon is dark with ridges and icy plains outside the environment. All with Neptune, a massive presence in the darkened sky. Why is Cobb heading to Triton? Aboard a space liner with a young woman named Angelique, Cobb receives an emergency call from his old friend Mark Belkin that his wife Jenna has been murdered in a tracer explosion on Neptune's moon Triton. Cobb has known the Belkins since the beginning of his career. This book has some good science fiction, but The Ice of Triton also has some of my favorite characters, the smart-mouthed, snarky Buck Wiley. This guy, unfortunately, is in charge of all the sectors. In any other venue, he would probably be dropped by a right hook. And the beautiful Angelique, whom Cobb has met on the cruise liner. The Belkin murder becomes an adventure for Cobb. Let us begin. In episode 1, The Ice of Triton, Harry Cobb series by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 1 Commissioner Nevis succumbed to a deadly form of degenerative retinitis. Peacefully, everyone said, but I didn't believe it. The dead rat had devoured his insides so rapidly that even emergency re-engineering and splicing were ineffective. Rumors abounded that ravine energy packets were discovered outside his village. Ravine, utilizing a mercury alloy with deadly quanta emissions, had many uses. A ravine energy packet the size of a thumbnail could power a whole habitat sector, and prototype tracers using ravine were under development. If exposed to ravine emissions, the human body would suffer a number of often fatal diseases. I deferred any irregularities to the Intrasolar System Bureau. Nevis, a dark-skinned man, educated at Princeton in the United States and Oxford in Great Britain, was instrumental in restructuring the intrasolar system's precarious relationships with the Earth and Mars governments. His weathered face and snowy hair reflected the pressure of eight years as commissar. Nevis, more than any other commissar over the past 110 years, was loved, almost adored, by millions. And now he was gone. I postponed an impromptu cruise line of vacation for two days to attend the funeral with my secretary, Sadie, and my close friend and employee, Rennie Coburn, a former prison consignor and pirate. Along with thousands in Cape Town, South Africa, we suffered through three hours in the blistering sun. The stench from uncollected garbage across a small river drifted into the crowd. I remember staring at Felix Alder, now director of the Intersolar System Bureau a post my old boss, John O'Neill, had earned. Alder, gangly and stooped, had a hawk nose and deep brown eyes, but he wielded great power. I stared at him, clad in a white suko, as Nevis's mahogany casket was hoisted by us. His trim peppered hair was caught by an occasional breeze. Behind his right shoulder was Phil Severinsen, his executioner, the man Alder called when he needed things done. Sevenson combed his straight gray hair to the left, and his steely eyes were a signpost for his inner intensity. I hated them both because they jettisoned both O'Neill and me from the Bureau. Alter coveted the commissar's post and had publicly muted any discussion of a ravine link to Nevis's death. Rennie had vanished into the transaction zone, and Sadie returned to her orbitous habitat. 
I was obsessed, as I broke Earth orbit, about Alder becoming Commissar. Alder's tenure at the Bureau, according to insiders, was brutal. His lawlessness and self-accountability were legendary, and Phil Severinsen accounted only to Felix Alder. I didn't need a cruise line of vacation, and wouldn't have considered time away if Mark Belkin hadn't called me on a secure zip channel. I was dictating case notes in my orbitus office before Nevis's death when my zip beeped. Mark was pensive and unusually apprehensive. He demanded to discuss his wife Jenna's retirement and pleaded for my help, but he wouldn't say what he needed. I thought that odd. For 30 years, Mark balanced nanodroids as an intra-auditor. Both he and Jenner were two of the more competent people I had ever met. She had risen from a social worker who had shipped food to poverty-stricken areas of the intersolar system to become personally responsible for feeding millions. Why would they need my help? I agreed to rendezvous with my old friends on a Callisto-based cruise liner as it neared Jupiter's gravitational influence. Mark's initial comments confused me. He rushed off Zip and returned winded. In a shaky voice, he confided that Jenna's career was in jeopardy. I wanted to know why, but he kept repeating how everything was about to fall apart. The signal emanated from Station 32 on Triton, which was one of Jenna's first assignments. I distinctly remember him saying, in a lower, clear voice, that Triton provided refuge from forces yet formed. Someone's voice was inaudible in the background. Mark dropped the zip and was soon in a protracted dispute. Again, he picked up the zip. Harry, goddamn them. They don't know what Jenna knows, and they'll ruin her. It's all political. I think they'll kill us both. What do you mean? Who wants to kill you? We'll be on the star flighter from Callisto. We'll join you, or, or try. My God. Mark, what's wrong? We will, near Jupiter. Please, Harry. All right, I'll be aboard. I'll have Sadie book it. Are you there? Nevis, Harry. Nevis won't make it. What do you mean by that? We'll brief you, but it may be too late. I have to go. Just just be aboard. Mark. Mark! The frequency went static. That was four days ago. Now his words bubbled into my thoughts like water boiling in a glass bowl. I tried to forget what I could not change. The Belkins were little more than a day away from arriving on the cruise liner, and Nevis was dead. I was determined to unwind as I stepped from the transport lift. Texting messages were shared between seated passengers gathered in an oak-paneled room on the upper deck. I strolled by and pondered my next move. Getting Mark and Jenna to a safe place was crucial. A bright red message popped on my zip window from a woman named Paper Rose, too. I would have deleted the message except for the fact that Paper Rose was the name of a successful operation in the Venus colonies where I made my reputation 25 years ago. I left the text in my zip. I sat in a little recliner near a small arboretum and pinched the bridge of my nose. For four days I had been tormented about Mark being aware that Nevis's life was threatened. Since Nevis's death and after Mark's message, I was hesitant without a secure channel, to contact my old boss, John O'Neill, now working privately on the moon. Even zip-channeling Rennie was unwise without a secure link. I rubbed my hand vigorously over my mouth and squirmed in the recliner. I stood, 
and was about to leave the upper deck when a slender woman with dusty blonde hair and with vibrant green eyes careened into me. A swift, enhanced musk swept through the air. Her skin was as smooth and clear as a pearl, and her voice sincere. She informed me she had tracked my zip, and she was paper rose too, but I could call her Angelique. I half smiled, wanting to find out more, but continued to think about Mark's dire warnings. Somehow, three hours later, we were walking arm in arm along the upper star deck. The age difference between us should have been enough to inhibit any involvement, yet I was strangely and immediately attracted to her. I did not agree to the walk on the deck under the starry spread merely to satisfy my carnal desires, although I could have been persuaded in that direction. Her thick, dirty blonde hair crossed her shoulders atop a one-piece body suko, the fabric portion but draped to the knee. She made me forget how upset I was about Mark and Jenna. Seventeen years separated us, yet I quickly sensed an overwhelming mutual attraction. We found we could talk about anything. And we did, until the early morning. Angelique worked with a group of professional oracle players led by Horace Valencia, an oracle legend throughout the intrasolar system. She inputted an invitation to one of Valencia's concerts in the Newport Dome, along Mars's Vallis Marineris Trench. I accepted with a goofy smile. In fact, we both acted goofy. We texted each other as we stood under the stars. So, you just happened to be here alone. I raised my brows. For now, my old friends are scheduled to meet me in less than 24 hours. Old? Watch it. I was 20-something once. I find that hard to believe, Mr. Cobb. Then she smiled. I wanted to kiss her, but instead responded to her wit. You, Miss... Begins with W. And who are you, Miss W? A woman who watches the sunrise and gazes into her lover's eyes. Interesting. A woman who cherishes roses and poetry from the heart. What are you doing, Mr. Cobb? I didn't answer, but kissed her and didn't regret it. Her lips were sensual and sweet, and her body warm. The feelings that night might blossom into something special. At 3 a.m., we were alone in the recliners, along the silver starlit pool. Events in the intra were cascading out of control, and I was babbling Damocles' poems and chasing this younger woman. I leaned back and rubbed my eyes. You have something weighing down in your mind, she said. I do. Can I help? I tilted my head. The possibility of Nevis murdered now surfaced. I formed a fixed smile. I like your company, and I do yours. Yes, indeedy. Haven't heard that one for a while. Amazingly, we had laughed and joked together for almost six hours. Shall I accompany you back to your cabin? No. Really? Will I see you tomorrow? She asked. It is tomorrow. I swept her in my arms and fully kissed her. Her lips were electric, and I tried to convince myself that I respected her for not letting this get any further on our first meeting. My more aggressive side was contemplating being in that cabin. Well then, we can get together later today, before my friends arrive. She put her finger on my nose. You can count on it. Oh, by the way, Paper Rose too. How did you get that name? She produced a twisted smile. I'm your guardian angel. And who do you work for? She shrugged her shoulders. 
as your guardian angel, I will watch over you. Then you're working for someone. Right. Horace. Her body gyrated, probably for my benefit, as she prayed at poolside and disappeared into the indistinct starlight. I fell back in the recliner and gripped the edges, fully aware of how much I wanted her, but unsure who hired her or if she was hired at all. My zip sounded as a texting icon resembling a pencil popped on the window. Thinking of me, it said. I quickly text back. Maybe. An antiseptic palm oil derivative hung in the humid air, and the liner engines resonated in my bones. Kids splashed and yelled as Latin music pumped from the waterside bar where the luminescent pool curved back toward the staterooms. On my zip, Phil Severinsen blasted the other assembly candidates. Severinsen was a skilled confabulator and tactically stared into the crowd before resuming his contrived tirade. Like Alder, he was ruthlessly ambitious. While I was a part of the Bureau, I heard stories of Korea's ruin, people paid off, and unproved murders. He and Alder were absolutionists, those who believed in an intersolar system government with a strong leader. I was surprised how easily the members of the Assembly believed his ranting. Below a backdrop of smattering clouds over blue Chesapeake Bay, Severinsen introduced Alder to the Assembly in Annapolis, Maryland on Earth. I settled back into the recliner. Severinsen's high-pitched, articulate voice reflected his formal upper-crop education. At age 18, both he and Alder had matriculated in the seven-year program shared by the best colleges on Earth. Inhabitants, Inhabitants of the solar, of the solar, system. solar system, the time has, the time has come for a leader who will not merely accept the edicts of the Earth or Mars government, someone who knows the power of what we have here in the inner solar system, not a kindly old man who let it all slip away. I was baffled about the Nevis attack. His face reddened and he tapped his clenched fist on the podium. Felix Alder is the one man who will unite the far elements of the intrasolar system from Callisto to Triton, Ganymede, and the Moon. With Felix Alder, there will be no Earth power, no Mars power, but the intrinsic power that the intrasolar system so richly deserves. With Felix Alder, the Assembly would reject the neutrality treaty and exercise the power of what is ours. Inhabitants of the intrasolar system, I give you the director of the ISS Bureau, Felix Alder. As Alder emerged from behind the blue velvet curtain, I realized it was indeed all about power, not letting Earth control the intrasolar system. Alder wore a dark suko and a white neckliner. His gray streaked hair was trimmed. The delegates cheered and he raised his arms upward. I shook my head, wondering if this was a good thing. Alder's voice was smooth, erudite, and natural. He was too genuine. We live in threatening times. Hearing him twist the truth was more than I could stomach. I stood, pinched my brow, and gazed up at the starry, silkoplast star dome. Then I dove in the pool. 
the coolness soothed my frame, and I continued under water. For a second I visualized Alder's deep carved eyes and beak nose. But then I thought of Angelique. What would Horace Valencia say about his young oracle player being involved with a much older intrasolar system investigator? I surfaced near the silcoplast rim and realized I owed Valencia no explanation. What nodded me was the idea of Alder actually ascending to Commissar. I needed John O'Neill's advice. O'Neill despised both Alder and Severinsen for forcing him and me out of the Bureau. The water drained across my hair and down my face. I flopped my arms over the pool corners. My feet were weightless in the water, and I slowly exhaled. One of the waitstaff in a glow suit hovered above me with a tray of drinks. I recognized him as a bumbler waiter from the bar last night. You want a drink? I resented his gruff, arrogant tone last night, and even more today. What do you have? Do I look like a walking menu? You give me the request and I'll get it. I'll take a Dante's blaster. He rolled his dark eyes. <laughs> Whatever you say. I smiled. Maybe I'd been drinking blasters for too many years. A real blaster contained a high level of molecular alcohol mixed with a sweep of prime jaffron, a mega-caffeinated derivative. The stimulant opened up your mind and your senses, and the alcohol did just about everything else. But that was on Mars. More thoughts of Alder and Severinsen convinced me I needed the drink. My mind wandered back to Mark Belkin. Why had his and Jenna's lives disintegrated? Once finished with the blaster, I would check in with him. I balanced my arms on the pool's gritty, silcoplast edges and slowly kicked my feet in the warm water. I squinted as the palm oil bothered my eyes. My friendship with Mark stretched back 27 years to my days as a smart-ass young agent. We were the same age, our birthdays within days of each other. With Mark as an auditor with the Space Purator's office, our early field assignments frequently crisscross. I didn't know until the zip call that he and Jenna had traveled back to Triton because their official residence was now the Tempest Settlement on Ganymede. They had relocated to Ganymede in anticipation of an extended retirement. For 30 years, he had balanced droit ledges, but now he desired time with his wife. Jenna had another 12 months with resources. The waiter gawked at the tall red stein as he strode along the deck. He raised his brows and grabbed the drink. You ever had a blaster? Son, I was sucking down blasters at the Luna Cornucopia before you were weaned off your nutrient tube. Huh? And while you're at it, have somebody redirect the water in this pool. I'm not in maintenance. Then find somebody. It's killing my eyes. I ain't... No, forget it. You got a poor attitude. His huge forehead lines deepened. I smiled and raised my glass. You want a sip? I don't drink that tracer fuel. Good. You couldn't handle it anyway. He neglected to send an input number for a tip, because he probably knew I hated his guts. As he bounced away, I savored the blaster's warm rim on my lips. Wonderful thing about a blaster. The thick outer liquid was almost boiling, yet the drink was chilled with micro-ice to keep it cold for hours. 
I lifted the glass to my lips and took a rather hefty swig as the concoction encircled every nerve ending in my mouth and throat. The sudden tingle preceded a rush, a blast, and the relaxation was more pervasive than a mere alcohol or stimulant drink. My zip flashed red on recliner 46 next to the pole. I absorbed another blast and erased thoughts of Rennie beeping me earlier. He was aware, after Nevis's funeral, that zip calls were to be forwarded to Sadie. Yet, he had penetrated my zip walls. I closed my eyes and let my legs float in the pool as the blaster simulated a full-body massage. Now the yellow priority hebon swirled, and the alert beep decimated my deepening peace. I finished the blaster quick enough to get dizzy and extracted myself from the pool. Steadying myself, I eyed the flashing hebon on my zip. I shuffled my toes through the water puddles as I hurried and pushed the note button. It was a text message. You think you're going to roam the ship all day without saying hello? Signed, Angelique. I smiled, panned the area, and rapped the connect button. Pop. After a pause, my Australian friend's voice was crisp. Harry, this is Rennie. Look, Rennie. I raised my voice loud enough for a few women in a nearby lounger to glance at me. I gave strict orders to Sadie not to divulge my location when I left Cape Town. Yes, you did. Sadie is completely innocent. Then... You left it on your zip timer, mate. I twisted my lips and realized that was pretty stupid. Okay. You know Mark and Jenna are meeting me in a day and a half on the liner. I have some personal things about her career to talk to her about. I pinned two women in string suits. After a long hesitation, I knew Rennie had more information. Look, Gary, I don't want to alarm you, but... You love alarming me. I understand she's had some political difficulties. She's going to retire. I settled back in the recliner and prepared to nix the zip transmission. I'm disgusted with the Bureau since Alder and Severinsen took over five years ago. Haven't you heard? That last night. Last night? I was uh, preoccupied. What happened? Alder. He secured the assembly leader's vote. The rest will be a formality. He's the next inter-solar system commissar, Harry. I said nothing and smacked the blaster on the side table. I must say you're taking this very well, Harry. After all, they forced you out. You and O'Neill both. I don't live in the past, Rennie. I shook my head and was sure Rennie caught my lie. Sure. To what I'm about to impart to you, well, don't expect any Bureau cooperation if you know what I mean. What? Harry, I don't have full access, but the Bureau was watching illegal energy shipments that Jenna Belkin may have initiated to the huge warehouse terminals on Titan. Ravine energy packets. And they all disappeared. I sat up and leaped onto the Sokoplast. Come on. You know they've found Revine traces outside Nevis's village in Africa. Exactly. I think somebody shut him down. But Jenna? Transporting Revine? She's worked for Resources, Rennie. Resources is a humanitarian organization. Not a good link, mate. Two men in dark navy sukos stepped in unison to the pool bar. I pretended not to be suspicious. My information comes from O'Neill. O'Neill? I nodded my head. O'Neill works for security for Harkin Energy on the moon now. He isn't with the Bureau. What is he saying? 
O'Neill says this reaches to the highest levels of power in the intra. Maybe something between resources and the cartel. Jacob Levinsky. Exactly. Shipment was worth on the droids. Was she compounding droids? Money's always a good motivator. O'Neill didn't say. For some reason, the R.E.P. shipment is missing. A bucket of that stuff leaking can affect an entire population. That R.E.P. shipment seems to have disappeared in a place called Station 32 on Triton. I was on Triton maybe 15 years ago. No wonder Mark and Jenna want to see me. No wonder they want to hide away on this vessel. The hell is she doing transporting Remy? Was she going to sell it for retirement on Ganymede? I'll go back to digging up extraterrestrial sites, said Rennie, chuckling. Now the woman in the string suits didn't garner as much interest. I want you to treat this very seriously. I only talk with you through my booted zip. And he said you should not appear to be helping Mark or Jenna, or you could be killed. Wish I had ten droids for every time someone was going to kill me. You want me on the liner, Harry? I thought for a moment and studied the men still at the poolside bar. They were flirting with more women in string suits and not watching me. Your call, mate. Stay in contact with O'Neill. Tell him that I'm meeting with Mark and Jenna tomorrow. As if he already doesn't know that. And I'll try and contact him. You'll have to go through me. No. Tell him I'll use a secure channel and get me a secure frequency. Somehow. Will do. And Harry, carry your pulsar. Going back to my cabin right now to get it. Cobb out. Chapter 2 I inputted my liquor tab into my zip and trucked slowly as I stared into the glowing pool. Jenna never would do anything illegal or unethical. The men at the bar were gone now. I crafted a pleasant smile for the woman remaining. They returned the gesture and sauntered into the pavilion's interior lobby with a center red carpeted stairway. Warm circular hebons ring the ornate crimson wallpaper. My boots sunk into the rich green, bright gold carpet. I opted for the stairs instead of the external lift. The air was cleaner inside the pavilion, and the conversation muted. Soft extra music filtered down like snow from the upper girders. Everything I knew about Mark and Jenna exploded like gunpowder fireworks in my face. I met her on a bureau assignment to food colony number six. We were both only 22 years old. I was a young security enforcer along the decks. Jenna was a local coordinator for a food concern that brought supplies to the poorer areas on Earth. She was a professional, aloof, with eclectic tastes. In school, she had studied the archaeological aspects of expansion into the solar system. That included searching for extraterrestrial sites. She always told me how she would someday uncover the keys to the universe. But something changed her life, perhaps another love, and she left studying the ruins and began distribution of food to the poor. Mark never explained the metamorphosis. He was overseeing the funding by the time they met in her new job. They loved each other from the moment he asked her for the supply shuttle records. Jenna loved the way he feigned being stern. He built a long career with the procurator's office, and she stayed within the humanitarian sector of the government and the intrasolar system. They had no children, only careers. 
Angelique shouted my concentration as she stood radiant at the top of the stairs. My body tensed and then emotions surged. She was alluring in the pink-hued hebons. Her bright green eyes, framed by a mass of dusty blonde hair, were as bright as the pool, and her pearly white suko neatly traced her slim frame. I thought she deliberately swayed her hips as she approached, and I was fine with that. Well, hello there. Her hand was warm, and when I kissed her, scented with a mild but captivating scent. You. Did you get my zip text? I did, I said with a crooked smile. She took my arm. Would you like to see our show this evening? I would love to hear you play. Oh, you, and I hope you're ready. Why is that? After the show tonight, we're going to dance. Oh. I kissed her again near the lifts. You'll like my moves. She raised her dark, trim brows. I already do. So, you're stuck here in this liner. Oh, no. We have a series of gigs throughout the intro. My stomping grounds. Private shuttle will take us to the moons of Jupiter. More gigs. Gigs. You must be loaded with droids. I was not born a rich woman, Harry, she said, holding my hand. The ISS Bureau. Yes. I see. I produced a giddy, schoolboy smile. Her petite, shapely body was enough to keep me talking with her for as long as she wanted. More than that, I liked her style. With a quick, phony smile, I squeezed her hand. I find you very... Yes, she said, raising her doctrine brows. Intriguing. Like when you taunted me last night about your last name. She grinned. Begins with... W. That narrowed it down. I said as we crossed the lobby. I admired her a spunk from the first. And then I asked you about your room number. Begins with... Nine. My zip distracted me. Excuse me. Oh, sure. I lifted the zip. Bob. Harry! Harry! Shouted Mark on a weak and static-filled frequency. Mark! Mark! Where are you? I asked and I drifted away from Angelique. She's dead! She's dead! Jen is dead! My reaction was delayed. What? And then my legs weakened, and my heart thumped. Oh, God, no. I can't believe this. Angelique's face tensed as she called. Are you all right? I nodded and slid on a sofa along a brass rail. She lingered near the stairs. Jenna, he said in a low voice. Jenna's tracer, hybrid, frequency burst. Maybe, maybe pytoids. Mark, where are you, damn it? She just, just faded out. She said she loved me, and she was gone. Mark! A tear cascaded down my bristly cheek. Angelique, biting her lower lip, stopped less than five meters away. Triton, I'm here on Triton Station 32. I won't leave until I know the truth. What do you need me to do? thought about O'Neill's warning via Rennie. Mark, look, maybe you should get out of there. Let the locals handle any investigation. I dipped my head and balanced my forehead on the butt of my hands. My skin was sweaty and my stomach knotted. Mark, get on a shuttle and head to the lineup. No. Damn it, Mark. This local investigator, Wiley, told me back, Harry. I don't care what it takes. I'll... I'll find a tracer, and I'll get you an ETA. I was reluctant to mention John O'Neill, 
I'll treat this as a priority assignment. I fear for my own life now. Why? Why do you fear for your life? Just hurry. I'll feed the Matter One Hotel coordinates into your zip. Please. Transmission ended abruptly. Talking to O'Neill was essential, but I was reluctant to activate my zip without shielding the transmission. I took a deep breath and Angelique wiped the tear away. She paused her zip. Are you all right? No. Her face tightened and her voice was empathetic. Can I help? I slowly shook my head. No. This is a personal matter, Miss... Willard, I'm in 909, she said, giving me a passing peck on the cheek. And you didn't know that. Sure, you did? I pinched the bridge of my nose. No, I'm just a little shaken here. You sure I can't help? My teary eyes must have showed my hurt. I'll have to handle this. Call me. Then she held my wrist and had a serious look. You sure you're okay? Just a personal matter. I'll, I'll, I'll call you. I backed into the dozen or so people inside. Stunned, I gravitated toward the outer glass. She waved slowly as the car rose above the pavilion. Angelique in the lower level disappeared like a curtain going down at the end of an act. My throat tightened. Jenna Belkin, my friend, was dead. Jenna was both an attractive and well-spoken woman. Not a woman of natural beauty, she was stunningly composed. She handed herself with dignity, had class, and dressed that way. Why was O'Neill snooping in Jenna's affairs before this tragedy? Something wasn't right. I hadn't seen O'Neill in four years when he got the Harkin job. My gift, a plaque showing an old man balancing a cane atop a lunar shuttle, made O'Neill laugh. We had lunch at his office complex, overlooking the gray Copernicus ridges. In the following years, we had communicated regularly, but never again met face to face. I had last talked to him three months ago on Zip. More trouble followed me. The men at the pool bar waited on the upper concourse. They walked in unison toward the lift, and I immediately slid my hand inside my Suko pullover and gripped my pulser. They were both big men, at least six inches taller than me, with attire too formal for this cruise. The man with a huge jaw and dark eyes smiled. He had a raspy voice. Seven come eleven, Cobb. Let's go. They wielded thin-shaft red metallic pinpoint pulses. What the hell do you clowns think you're doing? I asked, knowing I was cornered. I subtly pushed a direct audio on my zip to Rennie and slid my finger over the incoming mute. They dragged me directly onto Concourse 10's freight lift. Who are you? His light, wavy-haired buddy grabbed my zip. He held it securely but never looked at the open channel. We are? It's none of your concern, Cobb. The hell it isn't. I saw you guys at the pool. His left eye twitched constantly. Follow us. Now. Chapter 3 I remained silent, even though I was convinced I was about to be killed, and I was certain my abduction was somehow related to Jenna Belkin's untimely death. On a lower level, they shoved me into a narrow staff lift. Inside the smaller and quicker car, I stared down at the red metallic pulsar shafts. Are you bureau agents? The dark-haired guy spoke first. We understand you were close to Jenna Belkin, Special Agent Cobb. So, you know I work for the bureau. Who killed her, brown eyes? Not your concern. Yeah, it is my concern, I said, pointing. The Belkins are two of my oldest friends. Shut up. 
barked his cohort. You've been booked on a freighter shuttle to Phobos. I clenched my fists at that dismal prospect. I don't take my orders from you. Who do you work for? The lift raced like an amusement park roller coaster through the cruise liner. The other man faced me and his eye twitched. I sensed he was lying, but had an underlying feeling they were somehow associated with the Bureau. You know my Bureau connection. So what? His yellow teeth protruded below his thin lip, and the twitching would not stop. You're involving yourself in a situation where you'll be killed. My left brow shot upward. Why will I be killed? You're very much aware of untenable assignments. Those ventures where power crosses friendship. I really don't give a damn, I said as the door flew open. We're now in the main cargo and hangar bay. The hell is this? You'll be placed on a freighter shuttle, Cobb. Simple. Yeah, simple. We jogged into the white hebon light cast from the girders above. Who's your section chief, brown eyes? You're a wise ass. Can't name your section chief, huh? Move it, shouted his twitching buddy, waving his pulser. I stood my ground. Forget it. Both men looked at each other. The pulser barrel brushed my temple. I gazed into his icy, cold, dark eyes and sensed he'd have no compunction against blowing my head off. Without hesitation, I stomped into the hangar. His partner smiled and tilted his head back. I'm sure you'll enjoy your trip. I was worried more about Mark as we neared the huge, rusted shuttle docked in mid-hangar. Were they also watching his every move? My friend, his wife is dead. I want him brought off Triton. Not my concern, said Brown Eyes. All I'm asking is for safe passage for my friend off Triton. Neither man spoke as we approached the spaceship. We never slowed at the gate or a check-in, and they escorted me directly into a cabin packed with several dozen people. I was seated in C-22A. The important thing for me now is to convince these lackeys that I was cooperating. They hurled my zip to a gray-haired little fat man in the next seat. I don't suppose it would do me any good to contact people within the agency. Brown Eye shook his head as he backed down the aisle. I waited until they were both off the tarmac, then I stood. The tubby man adjusted his blue real ball cap. He smiled a half-smile, revealing a missing tooth as he aimed his pinpoint pulser at me. Sit down. The guy's bulbous red nose and fat cheeks, laced with broken capillaries, bred an uncomfortable familiarity. Who the hell are you? I'm your fairy godmother. I said sit down. He texted into a zip. I saw the connection was to Earth. I looked into his icy blue bloodshot eyes and took my seat. His skin was brown from the sun and wrinkles crossed, forming diamond patterns on his cheeks. So you're my executioner. Kill me and dump the body in space. I studied his ruddy face. I've seen you before. I ain't never seen you, pal. His accent was soft on the R's, suggested the Mars South Polar region. I chided myself for not remembering this guy, but I knew him from Mars. If you think I'm going to sit back and let you dispose me into space, I don't like your attitude, bud. I'm touched. He dropped my zip into the side seat. I had to maintain an open channel, but not create any suspicion. I associated this guy with the subterranean bars sunk into the Martian soil below the thin ice layers. 
The green-tinted upper windows in those fine establishments allowed dim sunlight amidst the dark bar shadows. Patrons stank, and so did he. I peered over the seat. The workers stowed the last containments, and the overhead windows played emergency instructions from an old file. I repeatedly slid my lower teeth over my upper lip. Jenna's death bothered me more than this low life. Maybe he was just sending me back to Phobos, but I rather doubted it. Over the years, I had developed a keen sense of when somebody wanted me dead. And this guy, although I could not place him, would attempt to kill me. My zip remained on the seat with the channel to Rennie open, but Rennie was probably not near his zip. The shuttle engines hummed. Now I understood helping Mark was becoming untenable. Look, I need to open a channel. He laughed a short staccato laugh that, along with his body odor, captured more memories of the subterranean bar. Then everything hit me like the Cassini division around Satin's rings. Aunt Maddie's linseed orc bar. I suddenly realized that I had flattened this drunken wonder after enduring close to an hour of insults. He was slimmer and younger back then. They had told me he liked to drink. I stared at his pug nose and partially shaven cheeks. Then I pointed at him. You lived on Mars. I lived in a lot of places. Ain't no concern. The shuttle backed away from the dock. I crossed my arms and raised my brows as I grinned and stared. The pulsa was still aimed at my head. How much are they paying you? For an unarmed man, you do a lot of talking. Then his name bubbled up like something out of a Martian magma chamber. Grizz. They called you Grizz. His face flattened as his head slowly rotated, and his red eyes watered. How did you know that? I never forget, Grizz. He rapidly rubbed his chin and twisted his lips. Maybe you'd like a drink, Grizz. He panned the cabin and then looked directly at me. I ain't never met you. Yeah, you have. Now he ran his tongue over his lips as if he really needed a drink. How much time did you do, Grizz? Shut up, he said as he scanned the shuttle. You're gonna get me in trouble. Back then he was furious that I was a bureau agent. He feared I would bust him, and I did. You were in violation of your parole, being there at Aunt Maddie's. The compacted eyes opened wide this time. You son of a bitch. You got me sent back to Earth. I stroked my chin and recalled my report. Antoine Latrobe, known as Tony... A.L.T. and Grizz. You know too much for your own good. Pulsa shook in his age-spotted hand. And I wonder, Grizz, if you're on the run right now. He lowered his voice and glanced at the passengers. Don't matter to you whether I am or I ain't. Oh, it does. You're going to give me that zip and let me walk out of here before this shuttle leaves the liner. Big talk. I pointed at my zip. See that little placket in the upper window? That's your ticket back to a detention colony, Grizz. He studied the zip, held the pulser, and his hand vibrated. His eyes were now stuck open as he alternated between the zip and me. You're bluffing. I would say, Grizz, that by the time you get off this shuttle on Phobos, Bureau agents will be waiting to bring you back to whatever detention center you broke out of. Forward doors closed with a thud. You bastard. No, lucky bastard. Looks like they just happened to send someone to kill me 
was crossed my long, illustrious path. His indecision annoyed me. Open the zip channel, Grizz. My guy will verify that he's heard the whole thing. He gritted his teeth and he set the pulser. Get up. You're a dead man, Cobb. I reluctantly moved into the aisle and was forced to the rear containment section. He immediately closed and then coated the door shut. Then he turned and exposed his rotting teeth. I spoke loudly when he chuckled. No, Grizz. If you kill me, and even if you dump my body into space like you planned, you'll be executed by a pulsar blast. If they even catch you, you'll go back, away from society in a detention tank. He closed his eyes, pondered my words, but lifted the pulsar quickly. I thrust my foot upward and caught the tip of the weapon. I followed with a roundhouse hook that dented his fat-packed stomach. He expelled the air in his lungs, as if he were regurgitating, but he still had the pulsar. A quick green line cut into the compartments, creating a smoldering, burnt jagged edge. The alarms would sound soon. I scooped a case off the containment storage bin and sent it careening against Grizz's head. A bloody cut erupted above his left eye, and I rushed him. He fired, and the beam grazed my thumb. I clamped my hands around his wrist, and we both fell to the floor. He was a better wrestler than I thought. We rolled to the left and then into the next containment. I banged his wrist and hand against the base, but he would not release the pulsar. He fired again, this time partially puncturing the sidewall. Now the senses would indicate an air leak. I flipped onto my feet, and this time kicked the pulsar out of his hand. It spun across the shiny black floor. As I scrambled to my right, Grizz yanked out a smaller blue weapon. Maybe it was a stunning pulsar. I cupped my hand and gambled I would catch the pulse in my hand. I heard the stunner pulse, but never saw the dispersing light. I was thrown hard enough against the rear containment to leave me gasping, but I had the weapon by the tip. Grizz fired again. The brilliant blue particle burst hit me like a right hook and sent me to the floor. I dropped the pulser and lost consciousness for a few seconds. Grizz scurried like a walrus out of water, toward the pulsar on the floor. I shook my head and rolled forward. He smashed his fist on my hand. I looped my arm over his extended fingers and enveloped the pulsar with my hand as I retrieved it. He rolled back, sat up, and aimed the stunner. I realigned the pulsar and fired into his chest. His bulbous body whipped end over end and was viciously slammed against the containments ten meters away. A bloody Venus splotch covered his white sucret. His unshaven face was tilted to the side, his eyes open, and he wasn't breathing. I stared for a second, then leaped up. Having him aboard would only complicate things with the authorities and with whoever sent him. I would let them think he was still alive. I ran over, removed his wallet, and stuck it in my suko pocket. Then I yanked an air canister from the wall and wedged it between my teeth. The clean, ionized air pushed into my lungs when I bit the teeth guard. Next, I removed containment straps from the wall, secured them around my chest, arms, and legs. Then I aimed the pulsar at the gray panel wall. I hesitated and lifted his zip to check the history, but everything was wiped clean after the transmission. I clipped it on my belt and held out the pulsar again. 
the high energy pulsed a gaping, irregular hole, maybe two meters in diameter, in the hull. The air whooshed out and my own zip spun into space. Grizz twisted like a leaf in a windstorm. He spun, spraying more blood on the containments and the floor. His arms smashed against the opening, and then he vanished into the darkness. I clawed my way to the main door. Red hebons flashed on either side of the doorway. I had enough air in the canister, but I grew concerned about the temperature drop. My steamy breath dissipated as I pounded on the hatch. This is Lieutenant Fry. We see you. I saw his image on the window to the right of the door. We need to decompress the hall. I nodded and clutched onto the containment straps. My body shook and my left eyelash stuck when I blinked. I questioned whether I could continue to grip the canister. I fell to my knees and wound the straps around my wrists as a myriad of brilliant stars filled the black gaping hole. Damn this! I yelled through the canister. The pain cut my inner ear. My nose leaked down to my mouth. As the door popped, somebody dragged me into a brighter, warmer area. Air gushed around me and I spit out the canister. He tried... He tried to kill me. Who? asked a white-helmeted guy in a corrugated suit. Cobb. He took off his helmet. Why? He had mistaken me for another... Anthony Latrobe. Sorry about the damage. We're insured. You'll have to fill out a report before we get to Phobos, Mr. Latrobe. This Cobb. From Orbitus, a retired bureau agent, I... I prayed he would not ask for my ID. Pulling off this con on a commercial flight was laughable. They assisted me back inside as a woman in a green bodysuit rushed a clear vial of red ash, an anti-inflammatory metajaffron to me, and wiped my face. This will ease the pain. Can you walk, Mr. Latrobe? Asked the lieutenant, setting down his helmet on the empty recliner. I can. I stood and was more concerned about my hot, stinging skin, but the red ash helped. As I stumbled down the aisle, I had a text that goons would hijack me off the liner. I hoped Grizz's wallet might give me their zip connection or a connection to someone who I could convince that Harry Kabu was dead. Chapter 4 I tapped my fingers on the recliner. After lingering on Phobos, the hatch doors hummed and slowly spread apart. This unfamiliar port was loaded with rows of upscale shops and cafes. It serviced miners, as well as technical people, traveling between Phobos and the Martian surface. Desmond Turcotte had factories on this moon. The terminals bustling, and the incessant aroma of foods that I could not enjoy, filtered into the ship. I had just filed a phony report with the freighter shuttle's captain, and risked losing my license, which was of little consequence if whoever killed Jenna Belkin knew I was alive. The hatchway fully unfolded, and I rumbled down the abrasive silcoplast ramp. Rennie, his arms folded across his chest, slouched near a green silcoplast railing on the upper shop mezzanine. He pointed at me and stood upright. I shook my head as he gingerly tiptoed down the spiral stairs. I met him on the bottom of the staircase. His eyes were bloodshot and his facial wrinkles deeper. You've been through the ringer. Just a little hungover, he said, pursing his lips. His breath had the potency of a shorted zip relay, and his voice had sunk an octave. He handed me another zip. A neat ploy, mate. 
Mrs. Latrobe to you, I said, sliding out Grizz's wallet and Zip. Zip is a race, but the drive indicates it was issued from Earth. Where on Earth? I said loudly over the general noise in the courtyard. Cape Town. Wonder if this guy was at Nevis's funeral. Change of power, Rennie. I'm very concerned. Rennie rubbed his eyes. Me too. They are extremely concerned about Janet Belton's death. I know they are. Something else is going on here. I can feel the tension. Anything else on the zip? No. If we had the time, we could trace the frequency ID numbers, but we don't. Look, I just sent a communique to a guy named Sam Saganovich. I believe he was one of the clowns that pulled me off the lineup. He was listed as the prime contact in a handwritten note in Grizz's wallet. Grizz? Latrobe. It's a long story. What did you tell Saganovich? I had the captain send it. Said Latrobe had killed Cobb. Rennie raised his brows and smiled. Very good, very good. I assumed you did that. You did? Is this it program with my settings? Hidden, but you can access it. I've been in contact with the Bureau. Why, Rennie? When I heard about Jenna being killed, I have several old chumps from the transaction zone. Oh? This may have gone through your old boss. O'Neill? Via John Patnell. Harry, you've been activated as a Bureau agent. You're kidding. Nope. Put on record that I didn't request this. And also put on the record that this is very suspicious. Your buddies did this? No. They filed an anonymous source report. Section 5 picked up on it, and then they met me before I left the zone. Look, they aren't a part of this Alda, Severance, and Click. They want answers, too. Sure, let Cobb put his life out on the line. No? Bill McCabe. Convenient I should be dead. I don't like this. It stinks. What about the rest of the Bureau? This will get out. McCabe's background's in my zip. A bad feeling about this, even if it is contained in Section 5. Rennie smiled. Sadie's been informed of this little escapade. Good. When we land, everyone must think you're dead, Harry. Land? On Triton, of course. There's a contact there from five. Actually, two. Pollux and Castor. I have a ship. You're amazing. My trademark. We scurried up the stairs to the upper terminal. I dragged Rennie into a candy shop and stood next to slanted shelves of chocolates. Rennie popped one of the samples into his mouth and then threw one to me. Maybe the raspberry flavor would freshen his transaction zone breath. Okay, Rennie. What the hell is going on? What do these two contacts know, and who was trying to kill me? He chewed the gooey chocolate as he replied. Unknown on the Triton contacts. O'Neill has to be very careful. And I talked to John Patno in Livingston. Does Patno know what happened on that freighter shuttle? Rennie shook his head and plucked another free nugget from the dish. Then he placed another one in my hand. Of course. Patno talked to O'Neill. Did O'Neill do this McCabe cover? No. It's not indicated that. And O'Neill, he got briefings fed into that zip. I smiled. Good. What did the briefings say? Just a general briefing, Harry. Nothing classified. Mrs. Belkin had a stellar career, mate. Very efficient woman. 
resources will miss her services. Something was afoot, even weeks back. Apparently she's been doing a lot of traveling as of late. From the moon. O'Neill is on the moon. Exactly. She met with O'Neill on what was supposed to be a security matter. In the open area, she started talking about this extraterrestrial nonsense. The chocolate was melting in my fingers. I quickly placed it in my mouth. This one had an orange taste mixed with the chocolate. Both Mark and Jenner are firm believers in the extraterrestrial presence in the solar system. Wonderful. When they got in private, O'Neill said she was fearful for her life even then. Three weeks ago, he said, she was beginning to feel pressured, and had been pressured. Pressured by whom? Rennie stopped. His eyes watered and his right brow slowly moved upward. Probably by the same jokers who just tried to send you to sleep in space. Just hope Bill Severson doesn't get wind of this. I closed my eyes and pinched the bridge of my nose. The chattering of kids stormed into the shop and rumbled through the shelves. The chiding clerk descended upon them and I dragged Rennie back outside. Section 5 was safe, he said, and we began walking. And that may be good if Alda was somehow... Come on, Rennie. You're saying the Bureau had something to do with Jenna's death? Rennie tightened his brow. Not necessarily, but you know how the Bureau does things. The ISIS cartel. Maybe the Bureau's covering up the shenanigans. So someone in five thinks I can pull off this McCabe thing. We pass bright red and white table umbrellas outside of a cafe. Because you know the Balkans. And secondly, everyone in the Bureau never wanted you to leave. Well... I'm retired, and when this is over, I'll be retired again. Rennie grinned, but winced and held both sides of his head. He asked one of the waiters for a chill water. The information I have, Harry, is that she met with a man named Bernie Sorrell. Sorrell? Sorrell works for a Luna based in Porter. Mostly deals in food and liquor enterprises around the solar system, but in Porter, Sorrell are both connected to the cartel. Jacob Levinsky. Linsky is the cartel. The waiter returned and I inputted a droid scan into a zip. I handed the container to Rennie, along with a mild slosser pill to dull his headache. Here. Thanks, mate. He immediately placed the tiny blue striped pill on his tongue and guzzled the water. As he spoke, he gestured with the clear container in his hands. And half an hour later, her tracer blew up on Triton. Where is he now? We resumed our trek through the square. Unknown. And her tracer. Where was it headed when she was killed? To Warehouse 16, inside Station 32, down south. Station 32 is a huge dome. I know. I was there a long time ago. An ugly place. We have to be careful. After what happened to you on that shuttle, I'm convinced that whoever is behind this will kill us without blinking an eye if they feel we're in their way. He paused and smiled. Slazer's kicking in. Good. Thanks. Great. I understand about them killing us. And I'm also increasingly aware that Jenna's death was no accident. No, she killed in some isolated incident. I need to talk to O'Neill. I can send him a message, but talking direct to him right now is not safe. So where do we go from here? He pointed to the ramps under a huge glowing green Phobos port sign. Express freighted to Io? Then we get the private ship to Triton. It'll take five days with those slow vessels. Neptune is way out there. 
need to contact Mark, too. He must be overwhelmed by Jenna's death. You may not be able to do that either, Harry. But we will have some advantages in going to Triton. Does the law of embarkment jar your memory? Yes, I remember the Triton is very independent. They don't like governmental interference. The Bureau would have attempted negotiation with the Triton Council to send an entire team to Station 32. And? Now look, you and I are it. Mars was rusty beyond its lumpy moon. The main engines shook the freighter. I wiped my brow in the warm air. Someone had not adjusted the air circulation monitors. Rennie had gone to the front cabin to finalize the secure channel with the freighter communications officer. I was still a little uneasy with the McCabe identity, and I needed O'Neill to verify that Section 5 had actually reactivated me. This guy, McCabe, fictitiously worked Earth for the last eight years, which is good since I didn't want to start explaining why nobody knew me out here. I checked my central text and opened my eyes when I saw three were from Angelique. Texting her was not smart. I looked down. Where did you go? You must have found a new catch. If you only knew, Miss Angelique, I said out loud, knowing I could not return the text. I scrolled to the next one. Guess I know where I stand. I could sense her soft lips when I closed my eyes. In my mind, we walked into a quiet room with small candles wavering in the gentle evening breeze. A Brahms piano suite played on the surrounds. I felt a sharp nudge in my ribs. I opened my eyes. Rennie, clad in a gray fatigue suit that blended into the silk plas walls, nodded at me. Tired, Harry? Just a little stressed. His blue eyes had lost the exposed blood vessels, and he looked rested. You'll see her again. I grinned. You know me all too well. I shuffled behind him down the narrow hall to the bridge and brought up her last message. Silence from Harry Cobb. Horace is calling. We're off to Io. Hope you like the poem. Bye. Just my luck. Is she on the text again? Asked Rennie. I nodded, but sensed a secure channel would be safe. We need to talk to O'Neill anyways. I'll use that channel for text. Are you mad, Harry? This is a private affair. I'm sure it is. God damn you, Harry. This major power inter-struggle is happening, and all you're worried about are your own... I always worry about my own. You worry about getting me to Triton. I knew he was right about contacting Angelique as I strode toward the silver-lighted passageway. We both stopped at the forward portal. Rennie leaned forward and squinted at Mars as he spoke. Talked with the captain. This secure frequency was supposed to be for O'Neill, but whatever. How many droids is that going to cost me? Screw you, Harry. I pressed my lips and then put my hand on his shoulder. That was stupid. Sorry, Rennie. The long age lines extending from his high cheekbones deepened. He turned and his blue eyes focused on me. Leave the room for twenty minutes. You do what you need to do. None of my business. He motioned me forward. Calling Mark would make sense, too. Our boots echoed as we reached the forward hatch. I tried to reason out what happened. Jenna was just killed in a tremendous blast. Mark was missing, but maybe it was the law of embarkation that gave him the latitude to investigate on his own. Rennie half-raised his brow as we neared the front area. 
He inserted his security card into the side slot and the hatch slid open. The captain and four side station officers were seated amidst an array of green and blue lights. He joined them up front and joked with the officers as if he had known them for years. Then he signaled me over. This control area had cleaner air and the temperature was moderate. Here's my bureau buddy, Bill McCabe. This is Captain Norton. Norton was a large man with short brown hair. He just devoured a prodigious sandwich and wiped his mouth. McCabe, how are things on Earth? Air, sun, and bodies of water. You'll have to forgive me. I've been in the interest so many damn years. The things of Earth sometimes don't seem real. Jeffrey, gentlemen? Thank you, I said, and his sandy-haired second-in-command removed two mugs from the side dispenser. I could use a little time in the intro, I told him as I grasped the mug. Thank you. Are you two joining us? Asked the captain. Uh, joining you? I asked, glancing at Rennie. Why, yes, he said, and the other station officers chuckled. Rennie has produced accommodations for us in the transaction zone. Oh, well, I never pass up a good time, I said with a phony smile and patted Rennie on the back. Now... I will officially thank you on behalf of the Bureau for giving us access to your communications room. Always happy to help the Bureau, said Norton, facing Rennie. And, of course, the additional. The additional, mate. Norton opened up the communications room hatch from his chair and leaned toward us. There you go, boys. Thank you, Captain. We smiled, but my smile fell away when Rennie secured the closer. What did you just promise him? Let's just say that's between the captain and myself. I want to reach Mark Belkin. The little room was freezing cold, and an annoying beep repeated on the console. I warmed my hands on the Jaffron mug. Why can't they have a consistent temperature in here? Who the hell knows? Here, I have his information. You can get rid of that beeping. Rennie mangled his lips and turned toward the console. Anything else? Can I get you another Jaffron syrup? Perhaps a blaster? Sarcasm is the fuel of weak minds. <laughs> okay. Your blip and beep is gone. Thank you, I said as I sat in the recliner. On a viewer, the condensed group of zip channels were highlighted under the stars. Mars, set against the starry night, had shrunk even in the few minutes since we were underway. From the adjacent recliner, Rennie summoned the frequencies and punched in the codes. He looked at me and nodded. This is Mark Belkin's room at the Matterhorn. I remember the Matterhorn. The only decent place in that dome. I exhaled and leaned back in the recliner as the zip signal's red dots crossed the white screen. When the elapsed time reached a minute, I cut the transmission. Not in. You'll have to prepare yourself for the possibility they got him too, Harry. I pressed my lips at that prospect. I'm trying his personal zip. Good idea, said Rennie, placing another call on the zip window across the room. You know, I had a feeling you'd be calling the cruise liner from the zone. Oh? I added Mark's personal zip on the menu and fired the button, but nothing connected. Damn, where is he? Hopefully he's trying to locate his wife's murderers, which may not be a smart thing for him if the cartel is involved. Rennie summoned yet another channel. This could take a few minutes. I'm putting in a request to Station 32. You'll be dealing, Mr. McCabe, with an inspector called Buck Wiley. Could take a few minutes. Told Mark not to get into trouble.
He was so adamant. I opened a secure text channel, and then I typed in. You. I can't disclose where I am or what I'm doing, but I'll get back to you. There. Over and done with. At least you didn't put in your name. Are you monitoring my text, Rennie? Yes. I don't track your comings and goings around the zone. That, mate, is a prudent move. I smiled, sent the text, and stared out the portal into the darkness. My brow tightened as Rennie chatted with lower-level Station 32 personnel. Mark was now operating outside his usual realm of numbers and balance sheets to investigate his wife's death. Rennie listened on the surrounds as I peered into deep space. What surprised me was that he argued so vehemently with someone on the channel. You don't have that kind of authority, mister. I spun around to the window. A tall man with a spotty gray, whiz-cut hair, very close to his skull, waved his arms. He had blue dog eyes and repeatedly exposed his lower teeth. Who the hell is that? That, my friend, is Mr. Buck Wiley. What a bilge loader. Wiley wore a charcoal-colored suko and paced around a room loaded with scanners and communications consoles. His voice was grating from the first word. I don't have to tell you anything. You're asking questions about an ongoing investigation. And I'm the Station 32 officer in charge, pal. Well, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Wiley squinted. Ain't that nice. And who the hell are you? Bill McCabe, ISB. I don't see no identification on my zip. Rennie slipped me a disc with the phony information. I stuck it into the communications port. Wiley leaned over and placed both hands on the counter and read the data. Checks out. So you're the guy. We told the Bureau and the Interer we don't want to be inundated with off-tritoners. It's just me and Mr. Coburn. To me, this Balkan thing is plain and simple. An accident. Wiley appeared as if he didn't want to know anything that might require him to perform extra duties. Right. I know that. All I'm asking for is Mr. Coburn and myself to do our job. Well, don't expect me to be your lackey. I won't be intimidated by the Bureau. Mark Belkin, where is he? I told that guy, he said, raising his index finger, to back off. It was his wife, Inspector. I don't care if she was Neptune's mother. I'm aware of her resources assignment. We tracked her from her arrival and her setup, even on her night walks with her husband. Nothing out of the ordinary, and I ordered surveillance cut back. Oh, really? There are things going on with Jenna Belkin, and you know it, Buck. You're dreaming. I'm aware that Station 32's colony has five million people, and the conditions are not good. Now I'm dealing with a social critic, he said to the man behind him. Look, this place is what it is. I thought back about my short stay on Station 32 years ago. The dome was situated on the southern edges of a moon of Neptune, a distant settlement far out of the intrasolar system. Station 32 first housed uranium and metal miners from the prodigious Ice Mountains. It was a prosperous area until about 50 years ago, when the Jovian moon mines began booming. Wild stories, including A-human sightings, abounded this far out. Now Station 32 had a large populace with not enough jobs. People lived in crowded conditions and went to bed hungry. Jenna Belkin's visit to Triton was to help conditions on Station 32. Was there anything about her being there that would cause someone to be upset? Wiley shrugged his shoulders. No, not at all. 
unless you believe in little creatures and star trackers. Jenna always talked about the possibility of off-solar life. A humans. She was originally here years ago. Look, McCabe, the old-time miners had legends. That's what happens when you have nothing to do. Did her work upset anyone? Getting shipments from resources was a good thing. You'd have to be insane to refuse food and especially the energy. Energy? I asked, but still did not reveal what I knew about O'Neill and the ravine packets. Right. Anything unusual? I know nothing, except Belkin and his wife were walkers. They kept in shape, I guess. I didn't see anything wrong in that. They were friends with David Tweed. Who? He's been the administrator for our prison, our one prison here on Station 32, for years. He goes way back. But I could care less about the Belkin socialist. Any place unusual they walked. Look, McCabe, you find out if they walk down Lover's Lane at the prison. I've got things to do. Why the prison? I stroked my chin. This guy was an annoyance. I want to know about the Ravine pilferage. Ravine energy packets? I know nothing. That's not what they're paying you for. Can you spare anyone to help us? Do I look like a subcontract agency? Is the Bureau having budget cuts? Well, I thought someone familiar with the local terrain... Try the security guy at the Matterhorn. He used to be with the Bureau. Ask him to play Sherlock Holmes. The Bureau appreciates help, you know that. Right. Bureau arrogance. Revine packets. How did you come up with that one? I know nothing. Oh, funny man. Will you let me know about Mark Belkin? We can't raise him on a zip. Listen, if Belkin shows up, we'll buzz you. Then his face assumed a seriousness, as if he were thinking about a lost love. Look, McCabe. If I could help, if I had the opportunity, I'd do what I'm told. There are forces operating here that you don't want to know about. What do you mean by that? It means I just do what I have to do. What if somebody blew up that tracer, I said in a louder voice. You have a conspiratorial mind. If it wasn't something on Triton, then it had to be somebody she butted heads with. Who knows? You'll have to determine that. We have people at the station hangar here to meet you. Then you're on your own. We thank you. Right. Wiley out. I removed the surrounds. Rennie closed his eyes and shook his head. I'd like to zap his zip. I know nothing. He's all right, Rennie. All right. Come on, mate. He said, setting down his mug, and he stood. I hate this triton mentality. The guy's a little weasel. Whichever way the wind is blowing. So, what's the big deal? Rennie's blue eyes popped open and I laughed as I put my hand on his shoulder. Wiley is not our problem here. He could be. Who from the Bureau is security at the Matterhorn? We could ask O'Neill or just wait until we get there. True. Then we deal with him when we have to. My concern, as I said to Wiley, was Jenna murdered or did it have to do with Revine Packets? I really need to talk to John O'Neill. The implications are something we may not be capable of dealing with, Rennie. I told you, I have his secure address. Get him. We need to input this before we get to Triton. Rennie positioned himself in the recliner. He looked pensive. A commissioner murdered means people in high places are involved. Maybe, I said, pinching my lower lip. Rennie spoke O'Neill's address into the zip. The routing sectors formed red perforated lines on the zip window, diagramming the line from this freighter accelerating from Phobos to O'Neill 
somewhere on the lunar surface. The zip would not connect. Maybe we'll try back. I twisted my lips as I thought about Wiley's attitude. Give me a minute, mate. Rennie brought a smaller zip to the console and tweaked several sub-addresses. He nodded his head and smiled. That'll do it. Are you sure? This has you jittery. Sure it does, I said, returning to the portal. We were in deep space now, and I clenched my fist. Jenna didn't deserve to die. Maybe she did. My head snapped back. The hell are you talking about? In the eyes of somebody, she most assuredly deserved to die. Maybe he was right, but I again revisited the same question. Who would kill somebody engaged in peace? John O'Neill. The voice was distinctive and clear. I stared at the output. Rennie Coburn here. Rennie, you old zone cruncher you? Still working for that space dog? You bet he is, I said loudly. Rennie, gaping grin on his face, leaned back in the recliner. He placed his clasped hands behind his thick, dusty hair and closed his eyes. I hear your fees are undroidable, said O'Neill. O'Neill stood in front of a series of gray-white lunar hills. His hair was peppered, cropped short, and he was squeezed into a black suko with a loop blue logo for Harkin Energy. Depends, I gazed into his blue eyes. O'Neill, I see the lunar landscape is agreeing with you. One minute he said, and he placed a larger zip next to the portal and studied the window. Okay, good. He smiled and looked directly at us. I know this says a secure channel, but I wanted to be sure. That's why both of us are alive today. At least one of us, he said with a grin. Then his face fell flat. Jenna. I have no answers. Something isn't right about this whole thing, Harry. Resources is a peace-oriented organization. Jenna spent her life bringing the essentials to the poor in the solar system. O'Neill's face was shaded blue from the screen. That is exactly right. Five years ago, the Chernid colony here on the moon was trumpeted as a model for administrative success. In just two years, she not only fed three and a half million starving people, but she revitalized the job base. I was at the ceremony, but I never delved into how... And that's at the crux, isn't it? I'm not sure. Energy was involved, too. Fuel cells only power up that colony, but large plants were built. And how... I've been looking into this, he said, checking his window. Jenna mentioned she was under pressure when I met with her two weeks ago, but she refused to elaborate. We would have met again. I've since found a bureau-wide alert about her stealing Rebine energy packets. Stealing? For what? That's incredible. Rennie's eyes opened and he sat up. Why did the Bureau allow me to pose as McCabe? I contacted Section 5 after John Patnow called me about the Latrobe thing. I created Bill McCabe. You? I should have guessed that. O'Neill grinned. You're the one man I trust to get to the bottom of this. And Rennie, he has so many angles. Find answers on Triton. I have two contacts but I'm not sure if they know each other. Word from Triton is that this man, we'll call him Pollux, sent Jenna's tracer out to the Matterhorn Hotel, from where I don't know. The second contact is a former Bureau agent. Really? Who is it? I only found his record. He was recently dismissed. Somehow, he got my sub-address 
This is what he said. He was not satisfied that Jenna's death was an accident, and he brought up a Levinsky operative's name. It was this dismissed agent's opinion that larger forces were responsible for the explosion. Who was this former agent? The security chief at the Matterhorn, a Calvin Glavin. And you're going to identify with this. He was fired by Phil Severinsen. His bureau background has been expunged. Severinsen? We both know that scenario. That tells me Glavin was a threat to Severinsen and Alder. You need to find Glavin and the Levinsky connection. You and Rennie can do it. I appreciate the vote of confidence. I'll remember it when Jacob Levinsky sends his henchmen out to kill me. Harry, listen. Jenna had help in your career. Oh? This may be unsettling. What is it? And it may be a pattern. What? And it could explain her success. I talked to personnel in 5. Section 5 had field reports. And continuously the reports were expunged. By whom? Felix Alder. O'Neill's face tightened. You know what I think of Alder. He pushed us both out of the Bureau. Felix surrounds himself with lesser agents. He always has. I never trusted him. I mean, even outside what happened to me. I know for a fact he's crooked. Section 5 field reports are missing. And so are some of the agents who created them. Rumors abound of payoffs to Jenna. Much of it involves Jenna's stay in Africa. Nevis was from Africa, and Rennie told me about the ravine spill outside his village. I know. I've made arrangements to secretly speak with two people who actually read the reports on Jenna's connections, as well as the spill. Is the Bureau involved in her death? Maybe. Or the cartel. She did receive droid supplements. That's provable. As far as the ravine, I have no idea what's going on. This is the greater crime for sure. If Nevis was murdered, the cartel will be under immediate suspicion. Mention of the cartel felt like a pulse wave ripping through my stomach. I wet my lips several times and shook my head. John, do you have any evidence of this? The ravine is a fact, and the connections between Jenna, Bureau, and the cartel are fact. Harry, everything I've learned is being funneled to Richard Merritt on Mars. Merritt is the adjutant general. O'Neill leaned forward. I almost felt as if I were really looking into his blue eyes. Does the name Bernie Sorrell mean anything to you? Rennie shrugged his shoulders and I put my hands on my hips. Never heard of him. Works for Bartos in the solar. Bartos is a part of the cartel. Yes. Sorrell works out of Port 15, Copernicus Crater. And he met with Jenna on Triton just before the Tracer explosion. This is the odd thing. Jacob Levinsky has a retreat on Triton. Levinsky's tentacles are all over the Bartos board appointments as well as the money flow. I got this from Fred Switzer. Fred, how is he in bureau tabulation? Fred is still Fred. Look, Levinsky is legally unencumbered. We couldn't prove anything even if we had to. But I can assure you of one thing, Harry. Bartos Transport handles all of the resources shipments. So what? They have for years. Again, so what? It just isn't Bartos. It's all the food and fuel cells, even the clothes. It all traces back to the cartel using Jenna Belkin. And Jenna Belkin using the cartel. I stared at O'Neill and then fell back in the recliner. The starving were fed, clothed, 
people in the Bureau and the government look the other way, Harry. Bottom line, people in powerful places had a vested interest in the resources operation. And Alder? I don't know. O'Neill clenched his fists and panned over the lunar hills for a moment. Then he turned to us. He may have been involved in payments to Jenna. Felix Alder is dangerous. Felix Alder is a dangerous man. I feel the Indra could be in great danger. Alder is vying for the most powerful position in the Indra. Alder was a professional butt-kisser and backstabber. That's how he got where he is. You and I both know that. And you and I have a hundred Alder stories. We do. Remember this, Harry. And you and Rennie already know it. But I'll tell you anyways. Suppose you prove something between resources and the cartel or Alder and Levinsky. It must be covert. You need to get all the information to me. I pray to God they haven't gotten a mark. Get the information to me and I'll get it to Merritt. There may be no more secure channels once they run communications through Bureau Zips. You'll have to do it in person. No texting to me, nothing. Rennie raised his brows and I thought O'Neill might know something about Angelique's texts. Understood. O'Neill paused as if he did not want to say what he was going to say. By the way, my contact on Triton alluded to the name Norman Pushk. I don't know who Pushk is, and I don't dare do any searches without sending up red flags. It could be just the revenue shipment or something to do with the tracer explosion. I'm meeting with someone this afternoon who may locate Pushk. For now, good luck to you both. John, one more thing that's important. Go. A background check on Angelique Willard, an oracle player employed by a Horace Valencia. Why? A woman I ran into on the cruise liner. I just, I just need to know. O'Neill nodded. Will do. Thanks, John. Good luck, gentlemen. A mass of white and gray static swirled around the window. Rennie looked up. Who the blip is Norman Pushk? You want me to check the local catacombs? No. Let O'Neill handle that one. Our collective plate is full. Amidst the stars and colorful Hebon console buttons, Rennie placed his hand on my shoulder. Harry, I'll support whatever you want me to do, but my advice is to get out of this now. This thing is way too dangerous. No. Then, my friend, for better or for worse, we face the fray together. The channel, still activated, beeped. We both glanced at the text alert and then looked at each other. Oh, come on. Harry, you heard what O'Neill said about Alder. Dump this woman now. Don't put yourself or me in any danger. He was talking about messages to him. I pushed the screen button as Rennie rolled his eyes. Stupid. The nerve of that woman. You're out chasing other women and you expect me to believe that story? You're just being a martyr. Woman, said Rennie, turning. Oh, and you've never done anything stupid like this because of a woman. Rennie formed a cagey smile. He stared out the portal as I typed a reply. Not something with this big brewing. I sent the message. I don't have to listen to this. This conversation is over. Rennie grinned over my shoulder. Guess you told her, mate. Of course. See how long that lasts. I had to exercise self-control to stop Rennie or Cobb, a.k.a. Bill McCabe, from popping Buck Wiley. As far as Sector 32, it could have been a port in a pirate adventure and Wiley an administrator or mayor. 
Settings change, but people possess that consistent trait called human nature. Next time, with Mark incognito, Cobb searches for his old friend. I love the environment in this book and the meshing of characters. I'm Robert P. Fitton, more Harry Cobb, as the Ice of Triton continues next time, and I will see you out there. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.